0: On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, a Baseball Alberta and Baseball Canada fixture now on the COVID-19 front lines. Welcome to episode 130 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. Alberta's baseball community is still in shock following the death of a beloved umpire and official. Last weekend, Mitch Ball passed away from COVID-19 complications. The well-respected family man was well-known at a number of levels, including in the Western Canadian Baseball League, where President Kevin Kavami said Ball won't just be sorely missed as an ump, but also as a true friend to anyone who got to know him. He also said Ball was always there to provide mentorship and education to new officials. WCBL and Baseball Alberta umpire-in-chief John Oko added that Ball was an umpiring legend and an even better person. A GoFundMe has been started for Ball's family. Head to albertadugoutstories.com for the full story and a link to that account. Our thoughts and love go to the family and friends of Mitch. Someone who's been on the front lines facing COVID-19 on a daily basis is Heidi Northcott. A longtime member of Baseball Alberta and Baseball Canada's women's programs as a pitcher, the Rocky Mountain House nation is now a registered respiratory therapist at an acute care facility in Edmonton. While she did learn about pandemics and planning for them while she was going to school at SAIT in Calgary, she didn't necessarily expect to be thrown into it so quickly after graduating in 2019. We talked about it all a couple of weeks ago during some rare downtime that Northcott had. Here is that conversation. Heidi, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: I want to open up by saying thank you to you and all other healthcare professionals across this province around the world for all you've done and all you continue to do with the COVID-19 pandemic uh, as it still is in our faces. I want to start there. Baseball Canada had a great story written up about you and your role as a registered respiratory therapist. Um, I'm curious from a personal standpoint how challenging it's been over the last year or so in dealing with everything that's kind of been put on your plate.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, initially, kind of a year ago now, when we first started hunkering down and everything, there was, um, we, were, we were really scared for what was going to happen. Um, but we kind of held off on big infectious numbers and stuff. Our hospital wasn't overwhelmed at all, kind of throughout the summer last year. But then in the fall, I think once people started going back inside and and gathering for Thanksgiving and Halloween and stuff like that. Um, it started getting very overwhelming. We were way over capacity in the hospital, and um, it was it was and it is still uh, very hard.
0: How do you prepare for something like that? I mean, from from a training perspective, I can't imagine the first thing that comes to mind is, "Hey, let's get ready for a pandemic."
1: Yeah, I mean, all of our our training prior to uh, my education at SAIT really helped me become prepared because I was dealing with this pandemic less than a year into actually working as a registered respiratory therapist. Um, So luckily had some really good training. We have to do a 1500 hour practicum um, to get licensed. So that really helps because you're actually working in the hospitals already as a student. Um, And then I I would say the biggest player is teamwork, having a good team, especially in the ICU um, when we have this many uh, sick, sick patients just relying heavily on your other respiratory therapists. There's uh, generally about five of us that work in the ICU, but we were up to, I think eight or nine um, over Christmas. So having those teammates to rely on. And then also, obviously, everyone else who works in the ICU, the registered nurses, um, physiotherapists, nutrition, uh, obviously, the intensivists and residents, it it really, everyone really relies heavily um, on the team, and the team has to work together to save these patients.
0: For those who may not know what goes on behind the scenes in a hospital during a a pandemic, and what do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions out there um, that people might not be aware of um, as we try to wrap our head around what goes on on a day-to-day basis with COVID-19?
1: I think the biggest thing is uh, the government saying we're able to expand ICU capacity up to However, many, 2000 beds, whatever they say, um, when realistically we can't because we don't have the healthcare professionals to actually um, run those rooms where the patients are in and have safe, like um, healthcare practitioner to uh, patient ratios. Um, so I know. There's a misconception that it says we can go up to a certain amount of beds and we have all this capacity. But if you want great care, getting up to those numbers of beds, uh, the patients will not receive the, the care that they do now.
0: I'm curious. One of the things that was said during uh, the the story from Baseball Canada was you find respiratory therapy very similar to your experience as a pitcher with the national team. And I wanted to expand on just sort of some of the things that you took take from the baseball field into your day to day in healthcare. What kinds of things are you kind of leaning on from those experiences here today?
1: Uh, so, as I already mentioned, the, the teamwork and being able to work within a team. Um, I also think the leadership that you gain from uh from playing baseball i can take that into scenarios when there's a point where i need to step up and lead the situation i would also say like dealing with adversity and working well under pressure would be probably the biggest thing as a respiratory therapist we're getting called in the room when when stuff is going wrong generally mm-hmm. so we have to step up and, and really work well under pressure.
0: Kind of like coming out of a bullpen almost. Absolutely. Let's get into your baseball story a little bit here. I know that the Northcott family is very well known here in this province, but give us a bit of a snapshot as to what it was like in that household as you were growing up and and really relishing in the game.
1: Yeah. It's almost like kind of having a silver spoon, silver baseball spoon growing up, um, I mean, uh, my dad played and coached for the national team. He had a a baseball career, university career in the States. Um, And then both of my older brothers both played baseball, um, both also at junior college and university in the States. So, and as well as my mom got into coaching and was always scorekeeping and managing teams and et cetera. Um, So really it was, it's honestly it seemed like all we talked about most of the time um so it was really just it didn't feel weird for me to be playing despite being one of the only girls
0: was that ever in your mind at all that you wouldn't play the game or at all or was that something that you were basically born with a with a glove on in one hand and a and a bat in the other
1: yeah I think yeah there's never really a point when I didn't think I would play. I don't know. They're like, because both my brothers also played hockey. But my parents kind of not gave, well, they did. They gave me the option with everything. But with hockey, I was kind of like, eh, like, I don't want to be the only girl and have to get, you know, changed in the referee's room and all of that stuff. Like baseball, it allowed, it was easier to be the only girl on the team because, or one of the only girls. There wasn't that kind of like change room situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So, no, it never really felt weird. There were girls in our association that were older than me that also played and were the only girl on the team. Kaylee Gillum um, was my oldest brother's age and always played growing up. So that wasn't really weird to me to be playing.
0: Mm -hmm. Talk us through that experience growing up, Central Alberta, and uh, as you mentioned, you're not necessarily full of uh, women's teams in the area, but you're still playing with the boys, and um, how did that experience go from your perspective, and and walk us through sort of the transition from going from playing, you know, house league and that, to being on the radar for Baseball Canada and and abroad?
1: Yeah, so actually, when I first started playing, well, I played a couple years of rookie ball, and then... We did have an all-girls team for two years in Rocky. Um, but after that, the, the number of girls definitely just trickled out as I grew up. Um, so there were, I don't know, 12 of us initially for two years. And then it was probably down to five the next year. And then there was three of us who always played um, until we were, I think, 16. Candy Wyatt was one of them her and I played until uh, like we were done the midget age group. Mm. There was another girl who went on to play university volleyball. So she kind of shifted her focus at age 16. But um, so, yeah, there was always a few of us, but um, I started playing on baseball, Alberta in 2004 with team Alberta. And so then throughout that Uh, my name kind of started showing up with Baseball Canada. I know Chris James had asked my parents after the Pee Wee National Tournament in 2005 if he could take me also to the Bantam Tournament. So he had to get um, permission from Andre Lachance for that. So my name kind of started popping up. And then uh, when I was 16, my first year in the Open Division, that was when I uh, made the extended roster for my first time team Canada.
0: What was that like being kind of focused on that early and kind of getting to live out that dream of, of wearing the maple leaf on the, on the Jersey.
1: It was overwhelming at first, obviously. Um, I made that extended roster and then I didn't make the world cup team the next year. So it just made me want it so much more because I had that taste of it. Um, and then after that, I was on the the national squad for six years. Um, it, it's overwhelming, I would say, but in a good way.
0: Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, how cool is it to think that, hey, you got to do all this stuff when it comes to you know, traveling the world and, and that kind of thing, playing a game that you love?
1: That's pretty incredible, really, when talking to friends and stuff. And when I realize how many places I've gone, They've all been because of baseball. So that's a really special experience.
0: Talk a little bit about the, I I call them the moments, but as, as somebody who works in entertainment, I always try to take that moment to realize where I'm at and whether it's Grey Cup or whatever the case may be and go, yeah, this is pretty cool. Do you remember those moments where it's like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. And maybe walk us through some of those favorite memories of playing uh, baseball, whether it be here in Canada or abroad.
1: Yeah, I would say one of those moments was uh, getting to pitch at the World Cup in Edmonton, actually, getting to step on the mound at uh, previously TELUS Field, now REMAX Field. And in front of this, like, massive crowd, that was really special. And knowing that they're all cheering for Canada as well, that was one of those moments. Another moment for me that was pretty incredible was I actually went down and played in Australia one season and getting to pitch there, it was just, I was kind of awestruck um, that I got to travel that far away. Yeah, those those are probably the two that stick out most for me.
0: And obviously one of the other aspects of getting to play sports is you've got the the teammate side of things, the coach side of things. Uh, give us uh, maybe a few of the names that you know, pop up as you think back on those days or think think around even to today as maybe the influential ones, the ones who really made a mark in in your life.
1: yeah I think all, all of the girls you've interviewed have mentioned uh, Chris James. I know we all kind of think the same thing. He was the first coach who really treated us as athletes at that higher level with team Alberta um and it didn't matter that we were girls and that was kind of special like he just treated us as athletes and wanted us to be competitive and got results from that um you know for myself both my parents are obviously huge Barb and Harold Northcott mm-hmm. um, in my career. Um, One of my teammates, Tara Sakonich, she has done so much for girls' baseball in Alberta, Um, as well as Nicola Chansky. Obviously, her name is kind of synonymous with girls' baseball. Um, And I have lots of other friends and teammates who were the reason I kept playing, for sure. Getting to play with the girls at the end of the season was always the highlight,
0: when you look back over the last 15 years or so, when you know that 2004-2005 year, when you went from, you know, the Pee Wee Nationals to you know getting that chance to play uh, for the Baseball Canada, talk us through what you see in terms of the talent pool that we have here in Alberta. Some of the, some of the things. Have you seen a growth in the game? Are you seeing um, more, more interest in the game? Walk us through that aspect of it through your eyes.
1: It's hard for me to say because I haven't been as involved the last few years. Um, But to me, it seems the same. It goes in waves and some years we have big turnout, lots of interest, but, but a lot of those girls don't stick around. I think kind of my year and a few years before there were there was a really good core group. And then after my year, there was a really big lull. And then we have Kelsey Lawler coming up and now we have all these younger girls that are hopefully kind of, well, they are taking our place, obviously as most of us are retired now. Um, So I, I hope to see growth, but to be honest, I haven't really.
0: The question then becomes, I think, in your eyes, how do you sustain the growth? Is there something that maybe we're missing as a province or missing as individual organizations that we can do a little bit more to maybe um, get that interest back up and keep it up?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a lot we can do. Um, I think better advertisement, which it seems with social media, that's kind of starting to show up, um, creating all-girls teams and leagues because I know for myself I was completely fine playing with boys but I also grew up with most of them so they treated me with a lot of respect because i had earned their respect growing up in the same town but I know a lot of my teammates didn't go go through the same thing they dealt with a lot more adversity on that side of things Um, so creating spaces for girls to play so whether that's just all girls teams which are starting to show up um, eventually hopefully getting to leagues I know for myself I really miss just being able to play even if it's not super competitive Um, so hopefully there are enough girls eventually to make kind of like a women's league um, that we can continue playing like I think to Australia and they had multiple leagues they had a couple divisions and I wouldn't say the quality was fantastic just the fact that those women get to keep playing I'm very jealous of that so hopefully we can get to that eventually um I think so advertising specifically saying that like girls can sign up for baseball as well um Creating supportive environments, coaches need to learn the differences of how girls and boys compete um, and how they like to be encouraged, I think, is a, is a big part.
0: Drawing from your experience, plus kind of looking ahead to that future and hopefully growing the game, what kinds of advice would you have for those young girls or the families of those young girls who are contemplating maybe the idea that they should sign up for baseball?
1: I would say don't for the girls, don't let fear get in the way of trying Um, something that may feel uncomfortable to you because it might just be the best thing that you've you've tried. You know, you might love it. So don't let fear get in the way Um, as a parent as well. Like they might be nervous to put their daughter in baseball, but just try it and you never know what will happen.
0: Final question for you. Always ask this one. What does the game of baseball mean to you?
1: Uh, Baseball shaped me into who I am today. It taught me how to overcome adversity, work within a team, how to be an effective leader. Um, Most importantly, it it taught me humility and confidence. Um, It's it's been my whole life, really.
0: (laughs) Heidi, I want to once again thank you and thank all of your colleagues in Alberta and across the world for all you do in healthcare. And I also want to thank you for hopping on the podcast as well to talk a little baseball. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Thanks again to Heidi Northcott for joining us this week. And again, thank you to all of our healthcare professionals for all they've done for us in the midst of this global pandemic. While our province has been put into further restrictions during this third wave, we here at Alberta Dugout Stories stand with our hardworking doctors, nurses and staff and we will continue to do everything we can to stop the spread. We're hoping the sooner we get a handle on this virus, the sooner we'll be able to enjoy some baseball action again here in our province. Until next time, thanks for all of your support. no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.